Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again to These Present Days. And so we're going to open in prayer and get right into it today. Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for opening the hearts, the minds, our souls, our lives to your truth. I thank you, Lord God, that your truth goes everywhere inside of us and entwines itself within us. And we welcome the truth doing that. And we become united in one in our thinking because of this and our mindset is being actually set by you and your words to us. And I thank you, Lord God, for anointing my heart and my lips to speak, anointing their ears and their heart to hear and to receive. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay. We are living in crazy times. Let's just get that right out of the way. Um, I'm titling the lesson today, the podcast today, uh, No Worries, quote unquote, No Worries. And the reason I'm saying that is because there is a campaign that's been going on for a couple, three years now that is trying to induce nothing but worry and fear and anxiety and stress. And it's been backed in all kinds of different areas, the media, you know, the government. Um, they have all been utilizing this tool of Satan to try to, especially the people that are of God and that kind of walked to the beat of a different drummer, hopefully, ideally, that we are not we are not of this world even though we're in this world like Jesus said we're in it but we are protected by God and he's and he's uh, even prayed for us through the disciples in in John chapter 17 that's really the Lord's prayer the Lord's prayer for us to the father um, over in Matthew chapter 6 where our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the believer's prayer. That's a skeleton or, or an outline for a believer's prayer when they're praying to God. And we used to call that, and I, I did too, but I don't anymore. We used to call that the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. The, okay, bow your head. Our Father who art in heaven. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the believer's prayer. That's the believer's prayer toward God. And the Lord's Prayer for us is over in John 17, where he's holding all of his disciples especially, and the ones that would believe their words, he says, and that would follow after them, he says, I want this for them too. And so in that um, body of work, and it's long, much longer than the one in Matthew chapter 6, in that body of work of the Lord's actual prayer for us, uh, he says that we are in this world, but not of it. The problem has been that we have been of the world we become worldly, we bought into the systems, you know, we listen to the lies and we don't use the Word of God as our living standard to compare everything to, and we get caught up in this mess just like the rest of the heathens. And we're going to read about what they're like, you know, because we're going to touch on some of those scriptures where they are worried and they are stressing and they are, are um, uh, anxious about a lot of things in this world. And a lot of them, I feel, I feel sorry for the people that don't believe in God because you don't have anything to stabilize you. You don't have anything um, 
outside of all the big pharma selling you their uppers and their downers to get you to go to sleep at night and get you back up in the morning so you can go to work. Um, outside of the, all the chemicals you're introducing to your body, where do you find rest at? Where can your heart actually be relaxed and, and be fear-free um, when you don't even know God? And the world has made such a campaign and a concerted effort to scare the spit out of people. I'm serious. Because they've been fear-mongering and getting away with it for about three years now. And so I'm going to dive right into some of the things we need to discuss. Fear and worry is going on everywhere. Fear and worry, they're, they're interrelated. Fear is the mother of worry is the mother of anxiety, is the mother of insecurity, fear. And so fear, we, we're afraid and worrying about everything that concerns mankind. It's rampant in our society right now, in these days, with no natural solutions in sight, because it takes supernatural. You see, we've never lived in such a negative time as this. I mean, just going down the headlines, of just the headlines of the last week, of the negative things that it has to say about the economy, about about the guy in the white. I mean, just, I, I'm going to, I mean, we have news feeds everywhere all the time announcing doom and gloom from cancel culture to gender dysphoria to incoherent babblings from the White House. Oh, yeah, incoherent babblings from the White House to the war in Ukraine, to unemployment, to gas prices on the rise again, to recession dropping the bottom out of the economy, it's out of control, to formula shortages for babies, to Supreme Court justices being threatened, to violence rising. It's all insanity. It is happening all around us all the time. And you start to get kind of numb to it. I mean, when it first started about two or three years ago on, in a really concerted effort, you know, when the Wuhan virus got introduced to the populace, um, that was, you know, just in your face. It was kind of blatant. It was just kind of out of nowhere. Then they wanted to shut down the economy, which they did. They wanted closing businesses. They wanted to separate people from people and put people into hospitals and put them on ventilators and you couldn't see them and they died before you could even say goodbye to them and all this stuff. And we've been so numbed and dumbed, numbed and dumbed down to where this latest batch of the monkeypox variant stuff and all that thing that's out there. You don't think I, I know these things? Uh, just like you, I hear and I read and I, I cut it down. And I, I, I do more than cut it down, you know, to the level of the ground, like using a sickle the way they used to harvest wheat. No, I pull it up by the roots. I curse it, condemn it, and pull it up by the roots. So I'm saying no worries. No worries. In the middle of all this worry and anxiety and all this fanning into flame, no worries. Isaiah 44. Message translation. Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. If you have a Bible program that allows you to get a bunch of different translations up on your screen and you're moving along with me with that, I'll just wait for you for a moment. Otherwise, you can just listen in. And here we go. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8, God, King of Israel, your Redeemer, God of the angel army says, I am first, I am last, and everything in between. <laughs> I like that. I'm the first, I'm the last, and everything in between, and there's nothing else. That's it. And he goes on to say, I'm the only God there is. Who compares with me? 
Speak up. See if you measure up. From the beginning, who else has always announced what's coming? Well, CNN has. Well, MSNBC has. Well, even Fox News has. Well, even this webcaster has. Or this pundit has. No. From the beginning. From the beginning, who else has always announced what's really coming? This is Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. So what is coming next? Anybody want to venture a try? I like the sarcasm here. Don't be afraid and don't worry. Haven't I always kept you informed? Told you what was going on? You're my eyewitnesses. Have you ever come across a God, a real God, other than me? No. There's no rock like me that I know of. I love that tongue-in-cheek. There's no rock like me that I know of. There's nothing that compares to God Almighty. He deserves to be our all-in-all source of any kind of information. You see, worry and fear about stuff that you've heard on the news, about the recession, about the food chain, about the food chain because of, of, the, of stuff that's going on in the environment and all this kind of thing, plus the, 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 the concentration on the border and the war in Iraq. I mean, not in Iraq. We got out of Iraq, but the, we got out of Afghanistan. But um, Iraq might be next, but the war in uh, Ukraine and stuff like this, all these things are looming. All these things are affecting the country. Um, the fragility of the stock markets, fluctuations, and all this kind of stuff that's going on. And the money that the government, in their foolishness, has just um, caused the, um, the mint to print more money to pay for $40 billion that we're giving to Ukraine to help them in the war right now, while our people are out of work, our economy is in shambles, the gas prices are off the chart, um, and we're talking about food shortages. Let's just look at Matthew 6. Let's just go to Matthew 6. You see, when you're threatened and you start to worry or get anxious or get stressed out about even the necessities of life, Food, water, shelter, that's bare minimum. You don't need, you know, direct TV. You don't need um, two bicycles. You have one. I mean, just bare minimum. In Matthew 6, when we're reading, I'm going to read it, make it really simple, from the International Children's Bible. Verse 30. God clothes the grass of the field like that. The grass is living today, but tomorrow it's thrown into the fire to be burned. So you can... Be even more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Verse 31, don't worry. Don't worry. And say, what will we eat? What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? What will we put on? All the people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Verse 33, this is what we need, advice from God. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants then all these other things you need will be given to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will have its own worries. And so he's saying, don't get hung up on worrying and fretting. Your father, who cares about the lilies of the field, who is more adorned than the splendor of a royal court with all of the magistrates and his majesty himself, 
the field full of beautiful purple irises and lilies is more adorned. And he says that those things die and they gather them up and put them in the fire and they're gone. How much more is God going to be concerned about you? Matthew 6, 30-33 plus 34 from the Message Translation. I'm reading from a different translation now. The Message Translation. Here we go in verse 30. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Oh, did I just read that correctly? Let me read that again. To relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you both know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality. You know how you steep a tea bag in a hot and a cup of hot water, steeping and releasing. He says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God's provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. It's just like, just leave it there when the time comes. The New Living Translations, I'm just going to read it real quick for another angle on it, starting from verse 30 to 34. And if God cares so wonderfully and, or if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, in other words, don't worry about these things saying, one translation says, don't think about these things. Don't, don't worry about these things taking thought. In other words, you take and accept the thought. Don't accept the thought. So don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. Verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so what do we do when we're persecuted? What do we do when the government doesn't like the churches and starts shutting them down? And what do we do when Christianity isn't so popular like, like it used to be back in the 70s, 80s, and even 90s? What do we do? What do we do? Well, Jesus is going to talk to his disciples because it was about to become very unpopular being a follower of Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, the message translation tells them, don't worry about something. In verse 11, when they drag you into their meeting places or into police courts and before judges, don't worry about defending yourselves, what you'll say and how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words when the time comes. See, God supplies everything we need when we need it. This same sentiment in another passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, from, once again, the Message Translation, he says this, Matthew 10, 17, Don't be naive. Some people will question your motives. Others will sneer 
or, or excuse me, smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you're going to say it. The right words will be there. The Spirit of your Father will supply the words. Wow. So we shouldn't worry about that, being put on the spot, being persecuted because of our Christianity, being mocked, and even discriminated against. And we can even have the threat of death in some parts of the world, like ISIS is back at it again, and uh, some Islamic terrorists are back at it again, of beheading Christians over in the Middle East and North Africa and so forth. It's in the news, and it's causing a lot of fear and worry and anxiety and concern. And these are scriptures to help us navigate it. Everyday challenges in life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, message translation, says, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. What, what an amazing amount of heavenly incense would rise off of this planet up into the heavenly nostrils of our Father above. If we actually did this, instead of worrying and fretting, instead of that, praying. <laughs> what a novel idea. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. What does he replace it with? Prayer. To where you're talking to God. I mean, you're talking to God, and it's not just a monologue. It's two-way. God's talking to you through the scriptures, you know, through the middle of your own heart, through the thoughts that float up from inside of your heart that he gives you to calm you down, to get you worry-free. So no worries can become a reality. You see, they're talking about food shortages coming up in the not-too-distant future, through the summer. And we know how it was at Costco, trying to buy toilet paper. Um, dear Lord, trying to buy paper towels, trying to buy some items that people targeted in mass, and they probably just saw like in a frenzy, like a feeding frenzy, you know, it's like, everybody's eating over here, let's go and dive in with the rest, because you know, in the water, when you see the water look like it's boiling, the little fish are just having a feeding frenzy, but then the bigger fish, you know, pick up all of the vibrations of the, of, of, of the waves that they created, little tiny waves in the water, and they go and eat themselves, you know, them themselves get to eat those little fish that are causing a frenzy, so one thing knocks over another thing, just like the domino effect. So, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. The prophet Elijah was instructed by God when a famine came into play after God told Elijah to command the rain to stop, and it stopped for three and a half years. They had a drought which produced a famine, and God took care of him down by a brook. He said, I want you to go to the brook called Cherith. 
and there the ravens will feed you. So he had water to drink at the brook, and he had food from the ravens bringing in food of meat, you know, and off of people's tables probably, I don't know where they, meat and uh, bread and stuff like this. They can't bake, and so they probably, you know, plucking it, because that's what those birds do, you know, like the ravens are like seagulls, you know, they go and collect stuff that's, you know, easy to get to, that's not moving. And so then when the brook dried up, God says, I want you to go to Zarephath. There's going to be a widow there who's going to take care of you, and I'll take care of you through this widow. And so in verse 7 through 9, it says, Eventually the brook dried up because of the drought. Then God spoke to him, Get up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. Verses 10 and 11. So he got up and went to Zarephath. As he came to the entrance of the village, he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. He asked her, please, would you bring me a little water and a jug? I need a drink. As she went to get it, he called out, while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? What does she look like, a restaurant? Anyway, verse 12, she said, I swear, as surely as your God lives, so she recognized he's a man of God, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You you found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. After we eat it, we'll die. Verses 13 and 14. Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Wow. He's probably rubbing her forehead to get those wrinkles out of the way. Don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you said. But first, make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Then go ahead and make a meal for what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the Lord, or the word of the, the word of, of the God of Israel, he says. And then he gives her a prophecy. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. And you know what? She went and did exactly what he said. And, he, and the reason he said it, because he's not selfish, you know, like he's just a pig. He's just a, you know, a bad guest. You know, he's a guest of someone's house and he's demanding to be served first and stuff like this. Of course, the guests, if they're, you know, if, if they're in a house of an honorable host and they know the mannerisms of the day, they're going to be served first. And, but he insists on it. What's that about? It's God moving through him, speaking to her, I want you to trust me on this. I want you to go first, and I want you to give away what you are going to make for your son and then die to this man, and your, and your food will never run out. And I'll take care of it. And all of that, all of that happened. All of that happened until it was time to go up on a hill and command the rain to come, call the rain clouds to come and begin to descend. And so, you see, you control the mindset, you control the outcome. you got to control the mindset. See, if you're going to be worried and stuff like this, like he said, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing to a woman who's got just a little bit of flour and a little tiny bit of oil and gathered some twigs to start a little fire to make a biscuit. She's got plenty to worry about because she's actually pessimistic about it. She didn't, she didn't look like a woman full of faith, and that's why God sent him to her. Because all she needs to do to have a miracle is do what he says. All she needs to do is obey God. And all we need to do when we need a miracle is just simply obey God. 
Give your car away if he says give your car away. You know, give your last 10 bucks away if he says give your last 10 bucks away. You know, make a bunch of food and take it down to people that don't eat. And that's all the food you had for yourself as well. If he tells you, you better do it or you're not going to see a miracle. You'll read about miracles. You'll hear about miracles. You'll see other people in the middle of a miracle. But you're not going to ever have a miracle. Because the key to the miraculous is obedience. That's it. That's it. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll come away without leprosy. Naaman the leper did it. Had no leprosy. On number six, he didn't see any change. He went down and dunked himself again. Number seven, he come up with baby skin. Um, get the loaves and the fishes and start passing them all out to the people. Uh, we only have five loaves and three fishes, Jesus. And there's 5,000 people plus women and children. Um, nobody argued with him. They just simply obeyed. They just simply obeyed. So, 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, we know this. I'm going to read it from the mirror translation, though, but we know this. That God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It tells you right there in a little kind of a formula that there is power in God's love that will bring your mind to a stabilized position. A soundness of mind means it's not flip-flopping. It's not, it's not uh, sinking in quicksand. And so we're going to read it from the mirror translation. It's going to sound a little bit different. We're going to include verse 6 with it. It says, This gives me all the more reason to remind you to fan into flame the fan the excuse me the fan the flame of God's grace gift within you into a blazing hot fire your life and ministry mirrors mine i endorsed the gift of God's boldness within you when i laid my hands on you that's paul talking to young timothy i endorsed God's gift of boldness within you when i laid my hands on you why is he saying that to him because he's going to address his fear he's shaking in his boots right now He's afraid of the persecution that's been ravaging the church. All of a sudden, this church that Timothy was pastoring as a young, young, young pastor in his early 20s, uh, it broke out in a great big revival that Paul had in Ephesus. And Timothy was now the pastor. And Timothy was in the middle of, well, First Timothy was a lot of, of upbuilding and a lot of instruction about how to handle certain things. Second Timothy is trying to keep him in the saddle. Because he's getting, you know, weak legs and rattling knees and stuff like this because they started killing Christians and persecuting them to run them out of town. You, you don't think they wanted him out right away? I mean, even before the church started, Paul the Apostle had great things happen in the book of Acts. It talks about them going into Ephesus. And Ephesus was the worship of a goddess called Diana. And it coincides, you know, with the goddesses of Greece, because this is Asia Minor, where Ephesus is, um, which includes the, the, the Greece and the Greek peninsula. And so these people were idolaters. These people had source. They had soothsayers and fortune tellers making money for them. And Paul and his companion cast out the familiar spirit in this young girl, and she couldn't do it anymore and make them any money. And so they had them thrown into prison. And then God broke them out in the middle of the night. They had the jailbreak. And so 
after, you know, Paul came in there and disrupted the system with so many preachings and salvations and hearts turning toward Jesus and away from idolatry, and there was no place for them to make any kind of money off of their lucrative business of witchcraft. And so in verse 7 it says, Become fully acquainted with his gift within you. That's Paul talking to Timothy about the gift from God that's in him. Be fully acquainted with his gift within you. There's nothing timid about it. The dynamic of a mind liberated in the spirit of love is fearless and unstoppable. And that's what he had. He had his mind was saved. In fact, that's what the, the word is in the language. The dynamic of a mind, the word for mind, has been added with an attachment to it, which means a saved mind. A mind saved from intolerating inferior thoughts. What inferior thoughts? Um, like, I am not going to make it. Um, I need to be rescued. I, uh, I'm going to be next on the list. Um, I got to get out of town before they can get their hands on me because the threat was constant. It was imminent upon him. The church was diminishing because people were staying home and staying away because the persecution was so terrible. And so this right here had a, an effect on this young pastor to where Paul had to, you know, kind of strap him to the saddle and uh, like on a bucking bronco, you, you know, just hang on, just hang on, strap your hand around that, around that um, saddle horn. And so you see pride and anxiety, and anxiety work hand in hand. You see, when we refuse to get rid of anxiety and worry and fear, we're proud. I'm going to say that again. When we refuse to dump the worry, the anxiety, we pick it right back up. We, we, we play yo-yo with it. We go in and cast it down and it spins around there doing the, the walk the dog for a minute. And then it comes right back up into your hand. And it's like you're trying to throw these things off you, throw these things off you, throw these things off you, and you pick them right back up. Wow. You don't mean to. You're not trying to play a game with it. You're not wanting to turn into a yo-yo champion over it. But you have a hard time letting go of it. You know why? Because we're control freaks. The world has, has helped us all become control freaks. When I was growing up, when you watch TV, you had to get up off your butt and go turn the channel on the TV. You go click, 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 click. You know, and so people weren't so hasty to be the one controlling it because you always had to get up off your butt out of your comfort, take your blanket, you know, off you, the pillows from behind you, everything, you know, and you got to get up, and then you might as well make it a popcorn run or, or a bathroom run, bathroom run out of it, you know, because you wanted to stay put and wanted to enjoy yourself, you wanted to be lazy, lazy bones right there, but, you know, this is, this is saved, this was saved for the time that we're living in right now, to where everything is, is in our hands. We don't even have to have a computer. Just look at your, your smartphone. Just You don't have to leave your room to go around the globe and talk to people in another country right on your phone without even hearing their voice. It's just the thumbs. Tap, 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 tap. And so we're living in these times like this, which is strange, you know, to the history of mankind because just in the last couple, three decades, we've come into this place. But a true test of whether or not you're in pride is whether or not you worry easily or you're anxious about a lot of things or you got over-concern and you're over-cautious and 
you're afraid of this and you start using the word afraid. I'm afraid this might happen. I'm afraid that this uh, right here might go south. First Peter chapter 5. Please turn there with me. First Peter chapter 5. Message translation. Once again. Message translation. Starting in verse 8. Going to go through verse 11. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only one plunged into these hard times. Wow, is that for today or what? You are not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. Won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, he will have you put together, in other words, put back together, and on your feet for the good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. You see, fear and worry are evil twins. They're evil twins. Twins. They go. They go right along with each other. They, they feed off of each other. I mean, the fear hits you, and you start to worry. The worry starts to fade. The fear hits you again. You start to be anxious. It just goes on and on like this. And like I said before, the problem we have with this being bigger than just worry, and I'm going to have you turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read from the New King James translation, starting in verse 5, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why does God resist the proud? Because the proud is resisting him. The proud is saying, I don't need your help. The proud is saying, I got this. The proud is saying, I'm in control of my life. And so we got to resist that stuff. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What do you mean exalt me? Exalt me where? Exalt you above your problems. Exalt you above your concerns and your anxiety and your worries and your fears. Exalt you above the situation, the attack that's going on against you. Exalt you in victory above all that stuff. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. His time is the due time. Casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have to read this all together. It's a run-on sentence. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In other words, it says therefore because you got to look above it what it's there for. It's there because it says right above there, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know what God's grace is? God's grace contains everything that you need for what you're facing in life right now to be able to overcome it, to be able to conquer it to be able to endure it. Grace carries that with it. That's one of the biggest and best definitions of grace. All that you need for the season and the time that you're in right now. And so he says in verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves. If God resists the proud and gives more grace to the humble, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. How do I do that? And why do I do that? First he says that he may exalt you in due time. In verse 6, Verse 7 then says, casting, 
meaning that it's part of the run-on sentence because there's a comma at the word at the end of word time. That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. One translator said he cares for you watch watchfully and affectionately. He cares about you and he cares for you and he's watching over you. And so how do I get to that place where I'm going to let him do his thing and take care of me? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you above your situation. How do I humble myself? Casting all your cares upon him. Because when you're worrying about it, you're basically, even if you said a prayer, it's, Father, thank you for helping me with this. Thank you for giving me divine favor. Thank you for speaking to the other people on behalf of my situation. Thank you, Lord, for going before me, making a way where it looks like there is no way. Thank you, Lord, for that. Then you start thinking, oh, my gosh. In your mind, you don't say it out of your mouth. Oh, my gosh. What if it doesn't work out? What if, what if, what if you know, I don't get the favor that I just asked for? You know, what if, you know, it's, it's going to cost me. I better bring my wallet. I better bring my wallet. I might have to, you know, empty the bank account on this one. And you got all these things going on. And all these things going on inside of your head without your mouth moving. Inside your head without your mouth moving. Inside your head without your mouth moving. You know what that's called? Worry. You see, the Bible talks about us meditating, which is the opposite of worrying. Meditating is that you are going over and grinding about what am I going to do with all that money when it comes in? I need God to give me more wisdom because I'm going to have more responsibility. And God has to really help me and give me people that will point me in the right direction as far as investing all this money that God's given me so that I can sustain it and I can be a, ma a major blessing to more people. And you're going and grinding this way. And that's called meditation. <clears throat> and the Bible says, he who meditates on his word day and night, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In drought, he has water to flourish and bear much fruit, it says. We're talking out of, out of Psalm 3, the third Psalm in the Bible. Or Psalm, no, Psalm 1, and starting in verse 3. And what this amounts to is that people sometimes say, um, I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to meditate. Am I supposed to just read the word over and over again? No, you're supposed to go over and over again with your thought life. Over and over again, think upon these things. Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is good report, whatsoever is right. Th think upon these things. When your mind starts to go south, starts to get squirrely, you have a choice to make. You can either think on the negative or think on the positive. Because... Out of chapter 4 and verse 8 of the book of Philippians, which I just quoted, you know, uh, partially, you know, with my paraphrased, you know, translation quote, is that if you do these things, he'll keep your mind in perfect peace. He'll stabilize your mind. If you'll think on things. So you got to control the mind. You control the mind, you control the outcome. You control the mind, you control the outcome. The devil controls the mind, he controls the outcome. God controls the mind, he controls the outcome. And so we're working with God when we're working with his word to give him the opportunity to control because we don't want the devil to control it. We want God to control our outcome. And so by casting all of our care upon him, 
because he cares for us. Be sober, it says in verse 8. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his everlasting glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. He gets the last word. Even though fear and worry are evil twins, love developed and expressed drives them out. I'm going to talk about love now. I'm shifting gears a little bit. Because love is the most powerful force in the universe. By God's love, Jesus was placed on top on top of a cross and his hands and feet were nailed. And then they leaned the cross into the hole and, and pushed it until it dropped into the hole and it hung on his flesh and tore his, his hands and his feet a little bit more. And God gave his son to death that he might reap him back out of the clutches of the devil because he subjected, he subjected Jesus to the devil's attack because Jesus took our sin, our, our iniquity, our unrighteousness. He took our law-breaking. He took all of our filthiness and self-righteousness and ego full of pride and stuff. He took all of that on himself away from us into punishment for three days and three nights in the center of the earth where he was tormented in hell because he went to the place where we as Christians that are dead in our sins and trespasses were destined to go before he took, he took the bullet for us. And so love that's developed and expressed, it drives out fear and worry, the evil twins. First John chapter 4, starting verse 16. First John chapter 4, it says this. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been shed abroad already, past tense, has been. It's in us. We have the same capacity to love like God, to love sacrificially, to love unselfishly. We have that same capacity, but we've got to develop it. What do we do to develop it? Step out and act on it. When it says love your enemies, love those that hate you, love those that despitefully use you and abuse you, love those that have, re that have ripped you off, love those that have backstabbed you and put their mouth on you, love them. How do I get to that love? By faith. We enter into that love and tap into that grace. Only by faith. Because you're not going by your feelings in faith. You're not going by what, you, what hits your eardrums when they're talking trash to you face-to-face -face and disrespecting you, you're not listening to that. No, you're going by a different sound, way down deep inside. And so verse 16 of the mirror translation of 1 John 4, and we're going to go down to verse 17 and 18 next. And thus we have come to know and believe the love that God has unveiled within us. God is love. Love is who God is. To live in this place of conscience, conscious, constant love is to live immersed in God and to feel perfectly at home in his indwelling. Verse 17. So now 
with us awakening to our full inclusion in this love union, everything is perfect. Its completeness is not compromised in contradiction. In other words, we're getting rid of the contradictions that we've had. You know, our compromises that we try to keep keep juggling and keep integrating into parts of our life. Then we have the other parts that we reserve for God and His kingdom. No, 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 no. We've got to get rid of that junk of that compromise and get nothing but sold out for Jesus. The time is running out. It's TikTok time. Our confident, our confident conversation, conversation is an old way of saying lifestyle, our confident converse, conversation echoes this fellowship even in the face of crisis because as he is, so are we in this world. Just like as Jesus is right now. Well, how's Jesus doing right now? He's raised from the dead. How's Jesus doing right now? He's um, impervious to that coronavirus. He didn't get vaccinated. He doesn't need to. Because his DNA has been altered by the life of God as a human, divine human being that he is. And we become divine human beings because we still have flesh and blood, but we've got Jesus and the Father and this Holy Spirit dwelling and living on the inside of us. And so as he is, so are we in this world. How's Jesus? Jesus is in this world, but he's not of this world. Do we need to work on that a little bit in our own life? Uh, obviously. And so we get, we get sold out for Jesus, 100% for Jesus, all Jesus, and nothing else will do. And we raise the, we raise the uh, stakes. We raise the ante. You know, we push all of our, all of our um, play money out to the middle of the table and we call the last person that started gambling and throwing their cards or their money out there on the table that people had to put their money in. And you see, money is something is a medium of exchange, and a medium of exchange is something of value, value that you can offer to somebody to enter into what this is that's going on right now. And so our medium of exchange is the value of our own life. And so we shove... Not 80% like we've been living off of, not even uh, 85%. We shove 100% and we take seriously and literally scriptures like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all 100% of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, act on the knowledge of Him and He shall direct your path. Uh, the only way He's going to get to that direct your path part is to trust in the Lord a hundy, a hundred percent part. And so, in verse 17 again, so now, with us awakening to our full inclusion in this love union, everything is perfect. Its completeness is not compromised in contradiction. Our confident conversation or lifestyle echoes this fellowship even in the face of crisis, because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, he's doing fine in this world. He's, he's not letting this world push him around, stress him out, freak him out, cause him to be anxious. He's anxious about nothing. Our lives are mirrored in him. We are as blameless in this life as Jesus is. Our perfect love union is the source of our confidence whenever we face the scrutiny of contradiction. You know what a contradiction is? A contradiction is anything that is the opposite of what God says. You're hit with symptoms of sickness. Don't own it by saying, I'm sick. I'm sick. I got to call the doctor. I got to get some prescription. I'm sick. 
Don't own it. Don't call it yours. No. Those are symptoms. Don't buy into it. Don't take a hold of it. You see, when we're facing the scrutiny of contradiction, we're facing an attack against us. It's a lie. The attack is the, is the lie. Let God be true and every man, woman, and child a liar. Let God be the origin and source of all truth and reality. And so if God says you're healed, you're healed. And stop contradicting God by saying you're sick and getting your meds. If God says you're healed, you're healed. Take that. Where's your faith? What, you have little faith? You need to take that. And so he's saying our confidence, he says this perfect love union, if we, ha if we know we're in a love union, we're love locked together with God, it's the source of our confidence. Whenever we're faced with the scrutiny of contradiction, What's, what's the scrutiny of contradiction? The scrutiny of it is like a little impish, nerdy doctor with a, a microscope looking at some of your epidermis, something on your arm right here. Well, it looks a little bit pinkish to me. It looks like you have the contagion that's going around to everybody else. It looks like the viral infection is already at work. That's a contradiction to what God says about me, buddy. And you have a boldness in the face of that. You don't cave to it. You don't surrender to it. You don't acquiesce and you don't accept it. And then verse 18 says, fear cannot coexist in this love realm. The perfect love union that we are talking about ex expels fear. Fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment. That's how fear exists. It's a parasite. It's got to live off of some kind of concern of crisis or judgment coming against you. What's a judgment coming against you? Well, you've been forewarned on the news that this right here is the population of San Diego County. And right here is the amount of people that have tested positive to COVID so far. And if you haven't tested, you need to get down and get your tested. If you haven't been vaccinated, you need to get down and get your vaccination. You know, because we're taking this thing on naturally. We're taking this thing on humanly. We're taking this supernatural attack against everybody on uh, in our flesh and blood. And that's a total contradiction and a pass. So fear cannot coexist in this love realm. The perfect love union that we are talking about expels fear. When you know how much God loves you, when you know how much God put and invested in you of his love, when you know how much God is expecting you to walk in that same love toward other people. And you know how much God is never going to give up and quit on you. And you know this, you know this, you know this, that you're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not isolated. You're not without help. Your help, a present, he's an ever-present help in time of need, the Bible says. He's right there in you. And so fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment. Crisis is a pandemic. And judgment is the symptoms going full-blown and maybe even resulting in death or loss of life. Listen, one last thing. I'm just going to kind of summarize this because we need to kind of bring the plan in, you know, bring the plan of God for our lives in for a landing in the airport of our hearts so that he can offload everything that we need to go forward 
in the middle of a drought and a famine, a pandemic, an epidemic, a war, in the middle of persecution and hatred, in the middle of peer pressure, government pressure, all kinds of even self-induced pressure. Listen to this. Isaiah 44, 6-8 from the Message Translation. God, King of Israel, your Redeemer. Here we go again. I'm just taking this full circle. God of the angel army says, I'm the first and I'm the last. And I'm everything in between. That's all you need to know. That God is your all in all. I'm the only God there is. Who compares with me? Speak up. See if you measure up. From the beginning, who else has always been announced? Who else has always announced, excuse me, what's coming? So what's coming next? Anybody want to venture a try? Oh, they're going to roll out this. They're going to roll out that. They're going to put this mandate on us. They're going to put that mandate. They're going to start firing people that don't comply. They're going to start rehiring the people that they fired before. Don't be afraid and don't worry, he says. Don't be afraid and don't worry. Haven't I always kept you informed? Of course you have. Are we always listening? Of course we're not. We need to get better at that. I always kept you informed, told you what was going on. You're my eyewitnesses. Have you ever come across a God, a real God other than me? There's no rock like me that I know of. There's none. And so we come back full circle. God has to be numero uno. And everybody else take another number because only God gets that number one slot. And whoever has other numbers, they got to wait in line till their number's called. And they may never get called because I may never answer that request or that demand or that mandate because I don't have to because I'm of a different sort. I'm of a different cut. I'm of a different fabric. I'm of a different species, and so are you. I'm a child of the Most High God. Don't ever forget that. I'm of a child of the Most High God, just like you. I'm of the children of God collectively, just like you. We are a we, and we are not subjugated or susceptible to the corruption, the diseases and sicknesses, the mental illnesses, the anxiety, the angst, the fear, the frustrations that the rest of the planet is subjugated to. Why? Because we flat out refuse it. On what grounds? On the grounds of the Almighty being our only source and His words being our standard of life. On those grounds, we stand against the enemy and put him in his place under our feet. In the name of Jesus, we step out in our grace that we've given, that we've been, that we've received, and we give to others that are all around us in every place, and we freely give what we freely receive, so that they who even don't know Him, who wouldn't even recognize His face, would catch a glimpse of Him when we step out of our comfort 
and into the marketplace. So, going forward, how are we going to behave? Are we going to go with the crowd mentality and be pushed here and there by forces seen and unseen too? Or are we going to simply hold our hand and what we've been dealt by the Father as he's dealt the cards that we're playing with now. And the cards that we're holding in our hand indicate the gifts and callings and anointings and inspiration that we've gotten from above. And we hold those cards close and we wait for the time to come when we show them when we play them, when we offer them, when we invest them, when we give them. And we'll see. The people that are being crushed under all of this disparity, they'll be set free. In an instant, in the blinking, in the twinkling of an eye. As we speak, the words that we are hearing at the moment we hear them from on high. And then we can say with Jesus as well, I only do what I see my Father do as he overturns the works of hell. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you that that's for us now in this time for which we were born to be. In the name of Jesus, those whom the Son has set free are free to set others free, as it ought to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. And thank you for turning, tuning in once again. Till next time, God bless you all.